This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. So I want you to take your Bibles out, and I, I'd really like you to read your own Bibles, and I'd like you to get a pen uh, and, and write in your Bible and, and, and study with me today as we study the Bible today, as we study the Scriptures. This is a very, very important concept that I'm about to teach you, and there are many people that don't understand this concept. In fact, I would venture to say that most Christians in this country don't understand this, because if they did, they would probably live their lives a bit differently. You know, I'm shocked when I hear some of our leaders tell us that we're between 65 and 85% Christian in this country. And yet when I look around and see the corruption and I see how we live our lives, that can't be true. Or we have a very, very wrong understanding of what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a Christian. And so with that kind of thought in mind, I want to go on a journey with you this morning. I want to begin to teach you from God's point of view, what it means to be a man or a woman in covenant, a covenant promise, what covenant really means. Uh, we all talk about the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Covenant, the New Testament, and that we're under the New Testament, but you can't understand the new without the old. So I'd like us to take a step back, and I'd like us to go on a journey through part of the book of Genesis and Look at the Abrahamic covenant. I'd like to look at Abraham's covenant. The title of my message today is Abraham's covenant. And uh, we're going to start with and, and what it means to us. And, and then we're going to start in Genesis, the 12th chapter. So open your Bibles, get to the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. And I think you're going to want to take notes because you'll want to teach this to people. There's a lot of people that don't understand this and you're going to look like a genius when you teach it to them. Amen. So Genesis chapter 12 Verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed." Now, that's an incredible promise, and that's the original promise that had Abram leave the Ur of the Chaldees and, and, and pass to a place that God would show him looking for something that he wasn't even sure he was, what he was looking for, but trusting God, trusting God, knowing that he would be blessed so that he could be a blessing and that in him, in him, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. In chapter 14, we read the story concerning Abraham's life of several kings who come against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. These kings overthrow the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, and as they do, they take Lot, Abraham's nephew, captive. They take his family, his cattle, his goods, everything he has, and they plunder him, and he's gone into captivity. So somebody escapes, and they come, and they tell Abram what has happened, and the Bible says that Abraham gathers 318 men of his own household, trained in his own house. Boy, that's what I'm looking for in this church. I'm looking, that's all I need. I need 318 strong, faithful, committed men. You know, if we had 318 men that were, I mean, 100% sold out, can you imagine what would happen if we had that? 
Abraham gathers these men out of his own household and he goes after the kings. The kings that had defeated the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and he, and, they, and they've taken his nephew Lot. Uh, amazingly, this unified group of men, trained men, were strong enough to recapture all that had been taken and they were able to win the battle against four kings. In Genesis 14, verse 21, it says, and the king of Sodom then comes to Abram. He says, give me the persons and take all the goods for yourself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and I will not take anything that is thine, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. Boy, let me tell you something. When I see that passage of scripture, would to God that we had a few men here in Zimbabwe, a few men in this church that would say, I will take nothing but what God gives me. You see, part of the problem in our country is that we'll sell out to the not even the highest bidder anymore. We just sell out to anybody that'll make my life easier. No conviction. You know, our, our government ministers, it's now become so evident that they're corrupt, that they just sell and buy to, the, to anybody that'll pay them. Not in concern for the nation, not, not trusting God for sure. We have businessmen, they don't trust God. They would sell their soul for a promotion. They would sell their soul to have a house in Bardell. They'd, have, they'd sell their soul to live in some high neighborhood. They'd sell their soul for a new car. And they call themselves Christians yet. Because they have not made that conviction, that commitment to Christ. Let no man make me rich, save God alone. And, and, God, and God's still looking for men and women. Now, I did this in the men's meeting in the first service, so I'll, I'll include the women today. God's looking for people that he can show himself strong through. Abraham made this commitment. He says, I won't even take a shoe latchet of one of these men's shoes, lest that man would say that he made me rich. Now, here's, here's what happens. When, when we make those kind of commitments, something incredible happens. Immediately after this commitment, God comes and makes a covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 15, you can jump there now. Listen to this, verses 1 through 18. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that comes forth out of thine own bowels, out of thine own loins, shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it unto him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, take me a heifer of three years and a she-goat of three years and a ram of three years and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. 
And he took unto him all these things, and he divided them in the midst. And he laid each piece against each other, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, an horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them for 400 years. So, so what's he talking about here? He says, Abram, here's the covenant I'm making with you. Know this, that your seed, your family, your, the people that are with you will go into captivity for 400 years. Now, is that a great promise? For 400 years. And, and so he's prophesying long before this ever happened. He's prophesying about the children of Israel, Jacob, his grandson, going into Egypt, into bondage into slavery. He says, but afterward, he says, he says and, and also that nation whom they shall serve, I will judge. And afterward, shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full, and it shall come to pass. That when the sun went, and it came to pass, I should say, when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thee and unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So this covenant that was made, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and this fiery furnace or this great light was Jesus. Jesus himself, God himself came and made the covenant with man. He walked a circle of eight. If you, if you study this, you'll see it's perfect covenant terminology. It's amazing what happened. Then in Genesis 17, we pick up the story and it says, and when Abram was 90 years and nine, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between thee and me, me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. See, God established a blood covenant with Abraham in chapter 15. Even today, the strongest covenant between peoples or nations or even in many business settings is a blood covenant. I have personally been with men that have signed very, very strong documents about great wealth. I mean, these are big deals that are very, very powerful. And I never knew this happened, but at a certain level, they actually signed all the documents. They have to initial them all, but the last, the last page, the signature page, they signed their name, and then they pricked their thumbs, and they put their blood 
their blood fingerprint as a sign of this being a covenant in blood. And the indication is, and this is what's scary to me, that if this is broken, it's broken by death. So these men are making very serious, serious commitments. There used to be a day when we understood covenant. It used to be that if a man shook your hand, that his word was his bond, and that handshake was unbreakable. It's unfortunate today that that has long gone by the wayside. It's also unfortunate that this right of blood covenant is also being corrupted, and we are seeing many covenants of darkness being ratified in blood. We even hear of some of our political and our own business leaders in this country that have pledged and corrupted themselves in this manner. Personally, we know of some people that have done so with the shedding of innocent blood of children. Our country is rife with witchcraft at the highest levels. And they do it now unashamedly. They speak of it openly as if it was okay. Pedophilia is rampant. Human trafficking is rampant. And it all has to do with covenants of darkness and evil. And that's why a nation like ours, so rich in wealth and so rich in prosperity and blessing, can never be blessed as long as we continue with covenants of darkness. When someone makes a blood covenant, it literally means what they have Oh, it literally means what they have, what is yours, is yours, and what you have is theirs, even to your life, if the other one has need of it. And that's why I want you to watch very, very carefully the demise of those that commit covenants of darkness. They never really prosper. In the end, they don't. Oh, in this life, they get money. And they get the appearance of being very powerful. And they get the appearance of having great wealth. But study their lives. Study and see if there's peace. Study and see if there's blessing. Study and look at their marriages and their children. And what they end up with. I've got news for you. God rewards and he blesses the righteous. Here's what God said to Abraham. In verses 4 and three, 5. He says, as for me. Behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham, for the father of many nations I have made thee. See, Abram is an incredible word. It means something. It means exalted father. If you study Abraham's life or Abram's life, before he became Abraham, the only person he thought about was himself. Like so many men today, many men today only think about themselves. In fact, our society is selfish. It thinks only about itself. And men today have become so selfish, they only think about their toys and they think about how, many, how, much, they, how much money they can make and what they drive and where they live. And, and, and it's all self-focused. But when God does a work in a man's life, when God himself covenants with a man, something incredible begins to happen and he changes that man's character. He changes his very nature and he 
makes him from Abram to Abraham, a father of nations. Now, let me tell you something. A father's heart is an entirely different thing. A father nurtures. A father cares for his wife, his children, his business, his nation. It's something that God does in the hearts of a man. And he becomes the father of a great multitude. What God was saying is, when he spoke to Abraham, he says, I've already done this. I've made you a father of many nations. I've already done it. Then he goes on to say in verse 7, And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. Now, here's, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice what God said. He says, I have established my covenant between me and thee. In other words, the covenant is standing between me and you. If anyone gets to me or to you, they're going to have to go and deal with this covenant. That's what covenant is. The covenant is, hey, if anybody's going to get to either one of us, it's got to be through this covenant. He says, if I'm going to get to you, Abraham, I have to do it through the covenant. If you want to get to me, Abraham, you've got to do it through the covenant. In other words, the covenant is what regulates how I will deal with you and how you will deal with me. It's no different today. What God is doing is he's establishing legal entry for himself into the earth. And he is giving Abraham legal entry to himself. Through the covenant, Abraham can draw help from God, draw wisdom from God, draw an anointing from God in the earth. So that the work of the devil could be destroyed in his life. God tells Abraham, he says, now, as a sign of this covenant, I want you to circumcise yourself. That'll be the seal of righteousness of the faith that you've already had. Romans 4.11 says, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had when he was uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all of them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness may be imputed to them also. So let me explain this a little bit to you, because this is where many Christians miss it. We have some people that are so confused. Abram, Abraham commits a, has a covenant with God and the covenant is the covenant of promise. He says, from thy loins there shall be a seed. He wasn't speaking of the seed of his own son. He was speaking of a seed to come. That that seed would be for the salvation of all men. That that seed would be the covenant seed because of Abram's faith for all mankind. Every man, every family that's named under that seed. After Moses, after, after, uh, excuse me, after Abraham came Isaac, Jacob, eventually, after 400 years of captivity, we see a guy named Moses show up. Moses comes to deliver this band of people called Israelites out of captivity. And in order to do so, he takes a bunch of slaves that have slave mentality, and he says, okay, I've got to give you some laws, I've, and, he, and, he, and he builds a nation. 
Now, you have to understand, they have no laws. They don't know anything. So God gives them laws to govern their nation by. Moses gives the law. Who was the law for? Was it for you and me? It was only for one group of people. It was for the Israelites. You and I have never been under the law. We've been under promise. So when you get born again, you don't get born again because of obeying the law or because of law or because of a Jew. You get born again when you accept the seed of promise, which was promised in Abraham and is manifested in Jesus Christ. And it's done by covenant. You see, the covenant gave God legal entry into the earth through Abraham. How many of you know God couldn't just come and do whatever he wanted to do? You say he's God, he can do whatever he wants to. No, God's legal. God couldn't just come. Man had been responsible for earth. You and I had been responsible for earth. And because our father sinned, he committed high treason against God and he relinquished his authority to God's opponent, the devil. And the devil became the God of this world. So God needed a way to have legal entry to come back into the world. And the only way he could do that is through a man who would make covenant with God and give God legal entry to come back into the world. If you study the Bible, you're going to find out it's a series of covenants and every strong covenant gets stronger and stronger. Even with Abram. Abram started by leaving her of the Chaldees and then co covenanting with God. Each covenant gets stronger with Abram, but how much more throughout history? So God had to find men that he could call upon that he could covenant with in order to remove the God of this world from his dominion in the earth. He also had to find men that would prophesy certain things into existence. I don't know about you, I always thought about being Isaiah. I'd hate to have to prophesy about someone being born of a virgin. Huh? You're asking me to talk about somebody being born of a virgin. Uh, can't do that. My mind just can't get there. Yet God found a man. God found a man who had declared into the atmosphere because everything, that has, everything has to be spoken before it can come to pass. God found a man in Abraham that allowed him to have legal entry through man in order to destroy the works of the devil. Genesis 18, verses 1 and 2, and it says, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door, as he sat, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and he bowed himself towards the ground. Now, if you study this, you'll find out that two of the men were evidently angels, but the third one was God himself. It was probably a theophany. It was probably Jesus Christ himself. God in bodily form, speaking to Abraham. They knew that Abraham was God's avenue of entry into the earth. God had come to Abraham to talk about what he was about to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 18, verse 16, we see this. And these men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. He keeps reiterating this covenant. Now, Abraham knew that, his lot, that Lot, his nephew, was in Sodom. 
And this is a city that had become exceedingly sinful and very wicked and full of all kinds of debaucheries. God wanted to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But he's talking it over with Abraham since he'd made a covenant with him. In Genesis 18, verse 20, it says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come up unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham, Abraham, as these angels went, Abraham stood before the Lord. See, Abraham knew that Lot was in the city. Listen to what Abraham says. And Abraham drew near and said, in, in verse 23, he says, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be 50 righteous within the city. Will they also destroy and not spare the place for 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after the, this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. And that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Here's a man speaking to God. He says, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? For 50, would you, would you save it? But if you, if you read through these, these passages of scriptures are quite amazing. Because God agrees. He says, okay, I won't destroy it for 50. And then Abraham boldens himself. He says, how about for 40? Now you know what it means to be Jewish. How about 30? How about 20? He finally gets down to, hey, 10. How about for 10? Will you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for 10? Verse 26, I wouldn't destroy it for 50 righteous. Eventually, although Abraham is subordinate to God, we are not God and we're not on a par with him, but we see God is counseling with Abraham. So he starts with 50 righteous and he brings him down to 10 righteous. In verse, 20, in verse 32 it says, And he said, O Lord, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but one more time. This is my last time. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way, and as soon as he left, as soon as he left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. See, God has never wanted to destroy the world. God would never destroy the righteous with the wicked. That's why... Many believe, believe that there has to be a rapture of the church before the destruction of the world. Or a protection of the church in the midst of destruction. Genesis 19, verses 1 and 2 says this, And there came two angels to Sodom at evening time. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, Turn in, I pray you, to your servant's house. See, God, God sent these angels. He, the Bible says he'd sent them to check things out. And, he, and, he, and, and, and Lot knew the purpose of their mission. In fact, Lot immediately recognized these as angels. And he says, hey, 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 come to my house. He took him inside. And, and he said, tarry all night and wash your feet. And you shall rise up early and you shall go your way. And they said, no, we will abide in the street all night. Now, we know that Lot communed with them. We also know that all the homosexuals of the city came out to try to sleep with these angels. Lot offered his daughters. This is a wicked city. I have to tell you something. He offered his virgin daughters in place of these men. Genesis, it sounds like our world today, some of the stuff that's going on. We're so confused. 
Genesis 19, it says in verse 17, it says, and it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad. Now you have to see that the angels finally said, no, we're leaving the city. The, the city's gonna be destroyed. It's not righteous. And they took Lot, his wife, and his two daughters and said, come on, we're leaving. The four people is all they could find that were righteous. Even the daughter's husbands wouldn't come or, or boyfriends. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad and he said, escape for all thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed. And then Lot said to them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant has found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, or I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto and it is a little one. Let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, and I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Boy, let me tell you something. God sees righteousness in Lot, and for the sake of one righteous man, a city is saved. Lot and his family saved this city because he spoke up. He says, I'm speaking on behalf of himself, but he's also speaking on behalf of this city. This city was destined to be destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah. See, God's still looking for righteous people today. He's looking for a righteous man, a righteous woman that he can show himself strong through. Here, a righteous man had power with God, had power with angels. Lot wanted to go to another city. He didn't want to spend the night in the mountains. <laughs> we find out later that the people of that city after Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed were blaming Lot. Why are you the only ones that escaped Sodom and Gomorrah? Why are you the only ones? And, and so he ended up running to the mountain and had to stay there. But God did answer his request. He did save the city. They should have been thanking him. Instead, they're angry at him and they drive him out of the city and he has to go to the mountain anyway. But here's what you have to understand. There is an authority that lies with righteous men. That is why our prayers are so important. That's why we pray. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Genesis 19.22 says, Hasten thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything until you come thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. So the angels couldn't destroy the city until the righteous man was out of it. That's amazing to me. Do you remember back in the 18th chapter, I, I quoted this. It says, Abraham made this statement. He says, be it far from thee to slay the righteous with the wicked. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Boy, Abraham had made an appeal to God. He made an appeal not to God, but to the covenant that he had with him. See, we can see the authority of the righteousness, which is by faith. Galatians 3 and verse 6 says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The blood covenant meant that God, that what was God's was Abraham's. But it also meant that what was Abraham's was God's. Even to their lives, if necessary, with no questions asked. Now this covenant was of great benefit to Abraham, but it was also of great benefit to God. It was so strong that God swore by himself to perform it. If either God or Abraham had broken the covenant, it meant death. 
this covenant was so strong that God had to prove it to validate it. He had to prove it to be valid. He had to prove that Abraham was capable of performing his part. Oh, God knew that Satan would challenge it. And if it were not proven before the whole universe, Satan would challenge him on it. Certainly, God was able and willing to perform his part. But all the universe had to know that Abraham could and would perform his part. If Abraham failed, the covenant would be void. You see, the promised son, Isaac, had been born to Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was receiving the benefits of this great covenant. and Everything was going great for him. And then we find this strange request from God in Genesis 22, verses 1 through 3. And it says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And he said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here am I. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I shall tell thee of. And Abram rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went to the place which God had told him. Now, I don't know about you, as we read this, it is really hard for me to imagine what Abraham must have felt as he made his way up this mountain. He had the wood, he had the fire, he had the knife, and then his son Isaac, probably about 15 to 17 years old, looks at him and says, hey dad, Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, Abraham speaks one of the most powerful prophecies, one of the most powerful words in the whole Bible in Genesis 2, 22, verse 8. He says, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Just the way that is constructed is incredible. That was exactly what God was about to do. Provide himself. Provide himself. God manifested in the flesh, in the form of Jesus the Christ, to be the sacrifice for man once and for all and forever. But it would never have happened if it hadn't have been for the obedience. In obedience, Abraham binds his own son and lays him on the altar. Verse 10 says, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took a knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his, thorn, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. You know, Abraham knew the power of covenant. He must have understood the power of the blood covenant. But he also knew what it was required of him because he was obedient to what seemed to be an unreasonable request. But not once did he hesitate in offering his only son. The Bible says that Abraham believed and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. 
Romans 4, 7, uh, Romans 4, 11 says, and he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believed. Well, can I tell you something? There's something that happens when you believe God. He hadn't been circumcised, yet he'd already received the promise. He hadn't received his son back from the dead, but he believed that God could raise him from the dead. He acted as though something would happen by faith. Faith acts as though what God says is true, even though you can't see or haven't experienced the promise yet. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 seals it by saying this, Jesus is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He's made unto us. How do we receive that? By faith. You see, I want you to understand something. Abraham's faith, Abraham's obedience accomplished more for us than it did for him. Genesis 22, verse 15 and 16 says, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abram out of heaven a second time and said, By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thine son, thine only son. Well, what's God saying here? God says, you've already done it. Because Abraham was willing to raise his knife against his child, God said to him, it's received as being done already. What was behind Abraham's obedience to what seemed to be this unreasonable request? Well, God himself had already given a commandment. God said, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, one of the Ten Commandments. But now he's offering, telling Abraham to offer up his only son as a sacrifice. In the natural, it doesn't make sense. This thing is so far-reaching that few people understand it. But a blood covenant had been made. A covenant is a contract which binds both parties. God made this covenant with an earthly man. God knew that Satan was going to challenge what he was about to do. And God wanted to bring something eternal, an eternal redemption to mankind. Let me try to illustrate this before I try to bring the significance of it in close. Let's imagine that the city here in Harare is accepting bids on a $10 million building at 10 o'clock on Monday morning. There's a man who's been sleeping on the streets and he reads a local newspaper about this bid and says, hey, I used to build houses. I believe I can, build on, I can bid on this job. But instead of bidding $10 million, he turns in a bid for $2 million. Now for sure, he's the lowest bidder. But before the bid is qualified, he must prove that he can perform his part of the contract. Now they're going to find out that he's been sleeping on the streets. They're going to find out that he's not bonded. That he has no credit. That he can't supply the materials. He doesn't have the equipment necessary to do the job. In short, he can't perform what he agreed to do. A contract with him would be a worthless document. It couldn't be binding because the man doesn't have the ability to perform the contract or to carry out the obligation. God knew. Satan was going to challenge him about the legality of making such a covenant with a man on earth. Satan was going to say, man is not capable of fulfilling this contract. 
It's a one-sided deal. It's invalid. Abraham won't go through with it. He won't offer his son's life, nor his own life for that matter. But God in his wisdom proved Abraham to be capable and willing. Now what did God have in his mind when he said, go offer your son? See, Abraham prophesied about God's sacrifice when he said, my God, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. He will provide himself a burnt offering. See, God was setting the stage for the greatest manifestation of love the world has ever known. God was saying, I'm going to prove the covenant I made with Abraham. I'm going to prove that it's legal, and I'm going to prove it once and for all. He says, because Abraham will keep his side of the covenant, I'll be able to keep my side. So he demanded that Abraham sacrifice his only begotten son. God didn't ask Abraham for his own life. He asked for his son, the one that would be heir to everything and through whom his seed would be. Actually, the seed God is talking about is Jesus. God said, I have sworn by myself because, I, because, because you have done this thing. See, Abraham performed his part, he, and he did it very well. God called it done. And the Supreme Court of the universe, it was written as done. Abraham has given his son. Hebrews says it this way, by faith, Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up the only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac thy seed shall be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Can I tell you something? This was a legal contract, a legal document that actually stands witness to Satan and to all the demons of hell that Abraham gave his son. And God has proven that this document is legal. The blood covenant God made with Abraham was valid and will stand forever. Now, here's the catch. Now and only now could God give his only begotten son for the world because he found a man who opened the door through covenant to bring God's authority back on earth. Abraham's obedience in offering his son made it possible for God to offer his son, Jesus, as the eternal sacrifice for all of mankind's redemption. The far-reaching effects of what could have happened staggers my imagination. What if Abraham had not validated this covenant? What if he said, I'll give anything except What's the except in your life? I'll, I'll, except, except what? If Abraham had not given Isaac, God could not have given Jesus. The covenant would have been void. It would have been illegal. It would have been illegal for God to provide himself a lamb. Abraham's obedience to the covenant gave God the legal entry into the earth to redeem man with his son, Jesus. Many people today have got this concept that 
Well, we're in the new covenant. That means I can live however the heck I want to. It doesn't matter. That is not true. The fact is, if you do sin, if you do sin, not when you do sin, if you do sin, you have access to God. You have access to righteousness through the blood of Jesus Christ. But if we take this great grace that God's given us and we don't understand that the covenant has two sides to it, all the blessings of the covenant come when we uphold our side of the covenant. God's gonna uphold his, but he says, hey, he says, if you want my blessing, he says, trust me. God's looking for a man. God's looking for a woman that will live this life. He says, I'm your man. I'm your woman. And to the best of their ability, they're, they're walking with God. They're, 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 they're obeying him. And when God calls upon his covenant, the new covenant in the blood of Jesus, when he calls upon you to stand for him, will you stand for him? When he calls for you to make a stand against evil, will you stand? When he calls for you to speak up, will you speak up? When he calls for you to make a sacrifice, will you make a sacrifice? Covenants don't get weaker, they get stronger. There's no stronger covenant than the covenant that our Savior made for us on the cross of Calvary. He deserves us 100%. Can we be that covenant people? God, I'll give you everything except, except what? How many accepts are there? I'll stand for righteousness for anything as long as it doesn't affect my job or my status or my upward mobility or my reputation the way I want it to be seen. I tell you something, it's going to affect all the above if you stand for Christ. Now you have to decide. Is the God of covenant able to keep his promise to you or not? Father, I pray for these that are in this room today, those that are listening online. I'm asking God that you would cause a conviction to come over our souls. Father, we live in a broken world. We live in a broken Zimbabwe. We live in a world that is falling apart because men's words mean nothing the truth has fallen in the streets and Father even in your church today it's more about entertainment than it is about building strong characters and strong consciences Father we must return to the saltiness of the covenant that we've made with you we must become the light of this world Father whatever it might cost us we know that you are there and you have covenanted with us and You'll never let your side down. Today I ask that you would forgive me and forgive us for letting our side down, for not doing what we know to do, for compromise, for sin, for outright rejection of the covenant that you've given us. We've done it for the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust for other things. We've done it because of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But today we ask that you would wash us anew and fresh and cleanse us from our sins and our iniquity. 
Father, deal with us as a church. We're entering into a new phase, a new era. Help each of us to contemplate, to think about our covenant with you. The covenant you cut with us through the blood of your son. Oh, Father, may we not find ourselves taking it lightly. You said we're to judge ourselves, that you would come and see if there would be faith in the earth. Father, may we be like Abram. May this be accounted unto us as righteousness. Righteousness. Renew a right spirit in us. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God. Help us to respond to your word today, I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.